0: All right, here's what we're doing today. We want to look at the power of the resurrection. I don't know why you came, so I've been praying for you specifically that you would hear what, what the scriptures say. And apart from going through a list of what God did in the resurrection, I want to tell you a story. It's a true story about a real man. The story is found in the book of Acts, and the man's name is Saul. Um, We as a church have been going through a study of Acts for 14 weeks now. And so there's a potential that you hear me talk about Saul. He shows up in chapter 9, you know, great. It's like showing up in the middle of a movie. I don't know what's going on. That is not going to be the case today. Because Saul, in our study in the book of Acts, hasn't really been mentioned much in the first eight chapters. In chapter 9, he comes out. And he comes out as, as a hater of the church and of Jesus And God does something miraculous with him. And the way he does it is through the power of the resurrection, okay? Um, Listen to how uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, describes this man named Saul. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found there were anyone who belonged to the way, or the church, or Christians, or the followers of Jesus... Whether they be men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, that's Luke's statement about this man named Saul. Now, listen to Saul's testimony of himself. This is powerful. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities, okay? Let me paraphrase Saul for you for a second. If those passages kind of leave you a little bit distant, think religious zealot. In our culture today, there are there are places where you see kind of the religious passion spill over to violence. Well, that's this man. This man was a highly educated Pharisee, which simply means that he was um, one of the leaders, the spiritual directors of the people of Israel. They, he pointed to God, Yahweh. He talked about the law. He was a leader, okay? He was, um, he was in his mind, super devoted to God, but he had a problem with Jesus, Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah, to be the King of Israel. And that really made him struggle as well as the leadership of Israel. So they commissioned him. They gave him sort of a badge of honor to go about the world, Jerusalem specifically, but even other places, and stomp out all of the expressions of people following the Messiah Jesus. Okay? He hated Jesus. He hated christians and and the followers of Christ, okay he pursued them with persecution and pr- imprisonment and even execution as, as horrible as that sounds that was that was Saul and talk about his Passion, it spills over even in chapter 9 and Acts. Here's what you see that it says he's traveling to Damascus, a 140 mile trip up north. In that day and age, it would take a week to make this trip. And he went to this place called Damascus because Damascus was a strategic strike to stomp out the, the kind of growing efforts of Jesus, okay? Because Damascus was a trade city. People from all over the world came to this town. And so in Paul's mind, or Saul, he's going to be Paul eventually. Saul's mind, he says, stop out this whole expression of the followers of Christ in this trade city before it can get bought into and spread to all parts of the world. Get it? So he's on, he's on mission to to end this, this uh, direction of the way, all right? He was driven, whatever means possible, by violence, intimidation, by accusations and executions, he he would do it. So do you have in your mind, I guess, somewhat of a small picture of this guy, Saul? But before we get too judgmental, though, I think we should stop for a few minutes and make a comparison, because I believe, as weird as it might sound to you, we have a lot in common with Saul. Saul wasn't looking for Jesus. Neither are we. Saul thought he was dead. Some of you might come, have been here today because someone invited you. Your opinions about Jesus would be no different, really. Like he's a historical figure at best. I mean, Jesus has been boiled down to a list of principles to live by, like things you ought to consider, but he's not a person. The resurrection says that he's alive, that he's a person, but what we've done is we have stripped him of that, and we've kind of said, no, he's just, he's just a feel-good story. He's just principles. But even if he was just simply principles, we don't really want anything to do with Jesus because he's way too narrow-minded, isn't he? He's way too exclusive for us in our tolerant age. Now, what about all the sincere people and their sincere ideas? Doesn't everybody have the right to whatever, to think whatever about whoever? Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to God. No one has salvation. No one can be forgiven unless it comes to this small little way. Me. well, in our world, I got no room for Jesus to be that narrow because I got a lot of things I care about and a lot of people who, who give me doubt about being exclusive with Jesus because they're sincere and they mean well. I think we struggle with the whole idea of Jesus because, and we are kind of like Saul. Saul thought he was doing God a favor. We do that too. After all, he's a Pharisee. I'm, stomp, I'm stomping out all this heresy, all these things that talk about Jesus. That's his version of doing God a favor. What's our version? Hey God, I'm, uh, I'm at Easter. <laughs> Give me some points for that. I haven't killed anybody. And when we start those lists of things we haven't done or or have done, and they're like little small things, you know, I put some money in the Salvation Army bucket this year, Christmas. I mow my grass. I'm a good neighbor. pay my taxes. I got a list of things, God, you need to have some kind of uh, affection for. Saul thought he was doing God a favor. That's kind of like us. Saul also uh, justified his actions. God said, do not kill. didn't matter. God, I'm doing you a favor. I'm trying to destroy heresy and I'm killing people to do it. Well, you might not have gone that far. But there is a whole list of reasons why you do what you do. And there's a whole bunch of excuses to explain them. God, you don't know me. I've been treated this way. I've had this life experience. I've been cut short here. I've been that. I've been this. I've got reasons why I do what I do. We're excuse makers. We're excuse factories. And so just like Saul, he justified all his behavior, all his violence, all his anger because he thought he was doing right. Paul, Saul was also affirmed by his culture and his people, wasn't he? I mean, his leadership said, here's your, here's your stamp of approval. Go destroy the followers of Christ. We're approved by our culture. I mean, you can be here today at total war with God, and your world says you're okay, you're affirmed. Why change anything? You you see how we have a lot in common. Even though it's easy to judge this man from pages about persecuting and murder, there's still some grains of truth that ring throughout his heart in our heart. But now listen to what happens to this man named Saul. It is mind-blowing what God does. About noon as I came near Damascus, this is Saul's own testimony, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Who are you, Lord, I asked. Get this, just imagine how much would happen in your head to hear this. I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you're persecuting. I, I thought you were dead. I watched you die. Here's what he says. The Lord said to him, get up, go to Damascus. There you'll be told what you have been assigned to do. And so my companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was Able to see him. And then he said this listen to this. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. (laughs) Saul couldn't see the righteous one. He thought he was a blasphemer. This man who is blind, the first thing he saw and perceived was that the King of glory really was Jesus, the righteous one. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for, Saul? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's an amazing story. What happened to Saul? It's pretty simple. Jesus happened to Saul. The resurrection happened to Saul. The radical change that you're about to hear him say in his own words happened because he met the risen Lord of glory of which he was trying to deny in the beginning. Listen to his own testimony. This is what he says. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Of course, in Saul's mind, everything he did to stamp out the salvific work of Jesus for the sins of the world, he is now receiving that salvation going, I don't deserve to be here. I'm the worst person. And yet I've received God's grace. Here's what he says. I'm the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and have eternal life. We're going to get back to that passage in just a minute. But that's Saul's testimony. Here's what he says in his confession. Listen to the difference between one moment before and now. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ Jesus died for our sins. He could never say that before. And he was risen again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most are still living, even though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and at last of all, he appeared even to me. To one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What happened to Saul? Jesus did. The power of God through the resurrected Lord totally changed his heart and his mind And he became a new man. What could change someone from a violent, abusive, mocking, hating, murdering kind of man? What can do that? Someone who is willing to die so that others might receive the person that he just rejected a day before. Jesus did that for him. The resurrected Lord did that. And here's what I guess I want you to grab onto this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ saves. In fact, this is how Saul puts it. After he becomes Paul, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There's something about the resurrection we got we to believe in or there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. On Friday night, we had a Good Friday service. Some of you joined us, but we were in the lawn out by the commons. And on those Good Friday services, we do one thing and one thing only. We look at the cross and we look at the punishment that God poured out on his son for our sins. And we look at the justice of God that is satisfied by doing that very thing. That is one aspect of our salvation, that our, our debt has been paid because Jesus paid it all. Amen? But there's another aspect to our salvation that I don't think we talk about enough, and that is what, what Paul or Saul says as well in Romans, where he said, Jesus our Lord was delivered up for our trespasses, died on the cross for our sins, and raised for our justification both necessary. So here's what the resurrection said. By raising Jesus from the dead, God declared that he was satisfied, and he approved of the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins. If he didn't raise from the dead, there is no forgiveness. You you can believe in a dying Jesus, but this whole thing hinges on a living Jesus, a raised Jesus. That's why we celebrate it. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. If he isn't resurrected, there is no hope. I don't know uh, why you came today. I have a lot of thoughts in my mind on why. Some of you come regardless. This is your church and this is what, what you do. But I have been praying that God would uh, get you here however he got you here, either by uh, curiosity on your own or one of your neighbors or coworkers, or family or friends say, hey, would you come check out church? And Easter's the time to kind of do that and Tag up and be at church, and so you're here. I don't know why you're here, but I pray that God would tell you something. Here's what I think he wants to tell you based on our story of Saul. It's a true statement for all of us. If God can forgive someone like Saul, look at me for a second. He can forgive you. And in your heart, there might be this little war going on. Like, Tim, you don't know me. You have no idea my story. You don't know my life. You don't know where I've been or what I've done. You have no idea what you're saying you don't have any idea of how I ruined my life and I've messed things up. I I want you to hear me, listen, very clearly. You cannot out-sin God's great grace. Your failures, yeah, you can clap for that. Your failures, as dark as they might be, are no competition to God's kindness, His grace, unearned favor, It superabounds over our messes. If it doesn't, Saul's not saved. An executor, a guy trying to stamp out the movement of Jesus in the world. And God came after him. God saves us. So you might hear that and say, I love that news. I love that news. What do I do? You know how simple this is? This is how simple it is. And the Gospels make it really clear trust in Jesus. That's what you have to do. Not, not by the way, and i got to clarify this, not add Jesus to your already listed of trusts that you have. Reject all other trusts and trust in Jesus. He says alone, and he means it. You know what we do? We like uh, insurance. We like whatever we want, and we want to be guaranteed it doesn't cost. Here's what Jesus says. You come after me, and you leave your life, and you pick up my life, and then I will change yours. You can't have other trusts and have Jesus. He is the exclusive way, the exclusive life and the exclusive truth, it's a narrow way. You will not be disappointed by the way. That's the promise, that's the promise and that's what it says in Romans 10. We need to believe in his death and resurrection, not just that his death paid the price that I deserve to pay, but his resurrection brings life and we need to confess our sins. That's not not a popular word in our culture, but admit our need. God already knows our problem. He already knows our story. Whatever you try to keep covert and covered, he, he knows in full. So just admit your condition, admit your need. It's that simple. This is how Saul, now the apostle, says this process works. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, watch, you will be saved. And we're not talking about just fire insurance to get you to heaven. We're talking about a changed life now, changed life tomorrow, and forever with him. That's the promise of the Scriptures. You'll be saved. And with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the Scriptures say, everyone who believes in Him will not be disappointed. You will never be burned, in other words. You put your hope in Jesus, you'll be never let down, ever. In spite of everything else in your world that has burned you and let you down, Jesus won't. That's the promise of Saul who experienced that grace in his own life. Okay? I I think there's one last thing that... uh, God wants you here today, okay? Stop fighting against him. Because you do. We all do. That's kind of our deal. Day after day, Year after year, month after month, God puts us in situations, and we run into people, and they say something, or we see something, or we hear something, and it sounds, it sounds kind of like Jesus. It sounds like this message of confess and repent and believe, and yet we got to go, no, 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 and we keep running, and we keep running, and we keep running. In, uh, there's an old uh, writer in 1890-whatever named Francis Thompson who wrote a poem, and I only want to use the title of the poem because you'll get the point. The title of his poem was The Hound of Heaven, and he was using that poem to describe God's pursuit of him when he's running from God. And the way he describes God in this poem is that God is tenacious to come after us. In fact, he is relentless and inescapable. He is the hound of heaven. I believe, I believe that he does that with you it's interesting that when when Saul is telling his testimony in another place in Acts, in Acts chapter 26, he says basically verbatim everything that I've read to you. But he adds one sentence in there that Jesus said to him that is nowhere else in the scriptures. When Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what we know. Here's what Jesus adds. It's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it, Saul. We don't use this language, but let me describe the picture of it. Here's what a goat is. A goat is a sharpened stick you put behind a stubborn animal who refuses to go where the master is leading. It's conviction. Can you imagine Saul? Like when he says that, I've got to believe. At that moment he said, it's hard to kick against the goats. Saul didn't go, flashback. Saul was standing at the place where Stephen, the first described martyr in scriptures, a man considered full of grace and love, who is being stoned to death by people throwing rocks at him, and in that moment, Stephen's looking up to heaven saying, God, don't, don't hold it against them, forgive them. That picture was burned in Saul's mind. Get it out, get it out. He goes around trying to stomp out faith in these Christians. And they're willing to die for what he thinks they're lying about. And what would, what would make someone sacrifice themselves for a lie? He's got a burn in his mind, a conviction. The reputation of the church, the early church was known for its love and benevolence and meeting needs and not possessing anything. Radical change happened to a group of people. And I'll bet you that Saul's mind was just stuck on what makes people like that. How can they become so so different? I'll bet you burned into Saul's mind was as hard as he was trying to stomp out Christianity, it just kept mushrooming and getting bigger and bigger no matter what he did. And so Jesus says to him, Saul, you got all these sharp prods of conviction happening in your life. It's hard to keep resisting, isn't it? It's hard to keep it shutting it off and pretending it's not real. So can I ask you a question? What are you kicking against? Maybe... Maybe someone has invited you today that has said to you a thousand times, man, listen, I love Jesus, and Jesus forgives sins, and this was my life before, and this is my life now. And you'd rather pretend that it isn't real. Sharp stick of conviction. Maybe it is your own perception of the world that we live in. <laughs> it is going to hell in a handbasket, not to bum you out too much. And every solution we can come up with doesn't make it better. I believe it's a sharp stick of convictions. We need something else. Maybe it is your own perpetual pursuit for your own happiness and joy and you just keep running out of steam and every time you get where you think you need to go and it doesn't deliver, you kind of get frustrated and try something else. I think that's a sharp stick of conviction. Maybe it's a sermon like this and I tell you something as simple and absurd as that Jesus is the exclusive way and you can have your sins forgiven and have life eternal simply by confessing and believing Jesus. That's a sharp stick and you keep running. You just keep running because you just want to shut it off. I want you to picture the hound of heaven right now. He's put you here to hear about Christ. Christ. For you to hear the story of the power of the resurrection in one man who's probably got a way worse story than you do, God's grace superabounded. And it will for you too. By faith, you can have your sins forgiven, you can have life eternal. That's what we're here to tell you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for Saul's story. And how it speaks volumes about your grace in your ways. God, we we confess, if we're honest, if we're not afraid to admit it, we confess that our lives are train wrecks too. Maybe not in the exact same ways as Saul, but in our own ways. We've pursued our own version of life and satisfaction. We've pursued our own joys. We have our own values, and yet doesn't matter what we do, there's always this deep longing in the soul of which you created. I believe that we were made to know you. And until we do, we will not find rest anywhere else. So, Father, I pray right now for all of us in this room, for Christians that we would celebrate, that our satisfaction, that our pursuit has been... um, met in knowing Christ, but if there are others who don't, my prayer is that God, as the hound of heaven, get them, draw them, woo them to salvation, I pray. Amen.